What is Pay It Forward? In each episode, we team up two women from the same sector, but at very different stages in their career. They share their biggest issues, nuggets of advice and leadership lessons. This is live mentoring and you're listening in. Today's episode focuses on the arts. Our first guest is Elaine Bedell, a former BBC and ITV executive. Elaine has worked at the Royal Shakespeare Company, penned a debut novel and is now the CEO of Southbank Centre. She is the first female boss in its 68-year history. We've paired Elaine up with Joanna Payne, the founder of Marguerite, a club for women who work in the visual arts. Joanna started Marguerite from her living room in 2015 and now has more than 300 members. Welcome to you both. Elaine, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and some of your early influences. Um, So I was born in London, grew up in London, in East London, born in Leightonstone. My parents moved every five years down the central line, so their goal was to get to Essex, which they managed to do in the end so I was a product of state school um, and but state school in those days had a pretty good emphasis on the arts so I got free piano lessons at school um, I was part of the school orchestra um, we had a very thriving library um, I grew up in a house where we didn't have books on shelves my parents didn't buy books couldn't afford to but we used to go to the library every week um, my dad was actually a very talented pianist, although that wasn't his full-time occupation, but he played the piano every evening, so the piano was the largest piece of furniture in our room. So um, I really benefited from a sort of an acknowledgement, which was pretty common in those days, that, you know, generally the arts were good and it was deemed to be important that it was state-provided and that it was a big part of the curriculum and, you know, local libraries were thriving in those days and well-funded. Um, I then went on to read English at Leeds University and um, Leeds at that time had an incredibly good student broadcasting network which had the best freshers party which um, lured me into it, seduced me into it and I ended up running that and through that got a job as a BBC trainee so that sort of launched me into but but, but I must admit I went to Leeds not really having any idea what I wanted to do Um, so it was purely being sucked into that that student broadcasting network that that sort of set me on the path. Mm-hmm. And Joanna, how about you? How did you get into the arts? So I studied history of art at university and later went on to Whitechapel Gallery where I did my first internship. Um, after that, I started at Freeze Art Fair, which is where I did my first full-time job. And I worked in VIP relations there for just over five years. So for me, that was the perfect kind of merging of art and another real big interest of mine, which was events organisation. You know, I'd been on the committee for um, the kind of the social group at, at Nottingham, uh, where I went to uni, organising all of their proms and that sort of thing. Um, so for me, that was the perfect role. Uh, after that, I went on to Photo London and then set up Marguerite, uh, which is obviously what I'm still doing now. Um, after seven or so years working in the art world, I really felt that um, men and women were very different in the way that they approached roles um, and that women perhaps didn't go for those promotions and those pay rises that men were really, really comfortable in doing. I'd always felt that I was hugely confident because of um, the brilliant network that I'd built up at Freeze and just wanted to kind of share that with other women. So decided to start a group where we would meet up in other 
people's houses every other month, um, really as just a way of kind of meeting, sharing ideas and building our careers in the arts. And it's kind of grown a bit since then. Um, so you turned your passion project into a business and you've been running Marguerite for five years now. What's the biggest challenge you're facing at the moment? Uh, I find that switching off is actually my biggest thing um, much to the dismay of my boyfriend even when we go on holiday you know I continue to work really um, and I know that I shouldn't really be doing it but I think as a founder it's something that you can, a lot of people kind of really experience um, as an issue but I would love to stop doing it quite so much. Elaine what can we do to make the arts more accessible to everyone? Well it's what Southbank Centre is all about really is um, and, and as I, I mentioned I feel passionately about it because my introduction through the arts was through places like the Royal Festival Hall and schools and public libraries that, that had sufficient provision. Um, I I think it's a tragedy that, that art subjects are being so neglected in the school curriculum. Um, we we have a every so often we, we're closed um, for the Haywood on Tuesdays and we invite um, school kids in to take over the gallery um, and we invite members of the class to um, be the curators of the exhibition and tell their schoolmates all about it and they are wonderful days but in almost every case this is particularly with Lambeth schools because that's where, where we are um, most of those kids have never been inside an art gallery before um, and we follow up quite often with their guardians or families um, so that they can come back at the weekend so everybody can experience it and share it. Um, we open our doors at 10 o'clock every day and we're open all day and we don't close till midnight and anybody can come in and we hope that by coming through the door they're going to kind of bump into some art. But we've got to keep it focused. Um, I mean, the 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 Royal Festival Hall was built as part of the Festival of Britain in 51, which was an extraordinary thing for a Labour government to do, was to post-war when there was still rationing and when South London was pretty bombed out, was to say, actually, I think what we'll do is have a festival about art and science and innovation and ideas and a cultural fair that will make everybody feel better. Um, that is absolutely what we should be doing, is because in the end, those shared moments of creativity, you know, going to a concert with someone or singing in a choir with someone, um, that is what makes everybody feel better, genuinely. And so we must make sure that it's not just a matter of privilege and it's not just because you can afford a ticket, but it's available for everyone. Elaine, you ran your own production company for a while. Did you um, struggle with the same issues? Did you find it hard to switch off? Yeah, I must admit, I've always struggled with the issue. Um, I mean, it is true when you're running your own company, you feel, well, you are completely responsible. So it's very hard. And of course, um, electronic media has made it so easy for us to be umbilically attached to everything, no matter how how many thousands of miles we might have travelled to get away. Um, I must admit, I'm still bad at it. I mean, I personally do find it easier to lightly stay in touch if I'm away because I don't like coming back to a kind of groaning inbox. Um, I, I I think the really important thing is that you have people around you who know when it is so important that you must be aware of it. And I have relied on some really great kind of support networks who know that, you know, if I, they can tell if I haven't read the email and if they think I should, they'll quietly send me a WhatsApp and say, look, actually, I think you should just be across what's, what's going on there. 
Um, so I'm I'm better than I used to be, but I but I agree it's it's it is a temptation and it it probably isn't very good for us. But I haven't found a way of. I used to work with Greg Dyke, who when he was director general of the BBC, and I seem to remember him saying that when you're operating at a sort of executive level, you really should go away, even if it's only for a long weekend, every six weeks. Oh, I like that advice. <laughs> yeah, I liked it too. Just, just to sort of, you know, if you're working that flat out, you just need time to sort of recharge. Mm. And even if it's just going to Florence for a weekend and spending a couple of days in an art gallery, but mm. just kind of lifting yourself out of wherever you are, London in this example, and sort of removing yourself just helps kind of. And I thought that was quite quite an interesting tip. Yeah, I like that. And it's probably much easier to just, you know, go away for a couple of days, whereas the thought of going away and not looking at your emails for two weeks is obviously terrifying, whereas two days at the weekend, you know, people don't necessarily expect you to get back to them. Mm, I'm going to take that on. I like that. There are quieter times of year. I mean, I don't think this used to be the case so much, but Christmas is really... You know, if you can manage to go away at Christmas, I think the chances are your inbox isn't going to grow too much. And actually, you know, we've become very European, ironically, in August. I mean, August can be incredibly quiet. Um, so there are some times where you can sort of judge that actually it, it may be possible to to switch off a bit more easily. We've actually completely stopped doing events at all in August now, um, just because people weren't necessarily coming to them in their hordes as they do normally, obviously. Um, And so that is a good time for us to kind of do a bit less as well. So yeah, I think... So that's, that's the, the time for you time. to take a break and have a mini and digital not detox. not my phone. Yeah, totally. Elaine, what's the biggest challenge you're facing at the moment? Um, well, one of the things I've we've been looking at at South Bank Centre is... Um, the meetings culture. So when I arrived, I came directly to the South Bank Centre from ITV, which um, is a very commercial media company. Um, And I was really taken aback by the number of meetings that there were, that were sort of regular weekly, in the diary, not to be moved meetings. Um, And when I arrived, there were two meetings in the diary that I was supposed to chair. both of which my predecessor had put in at two hours long. Um, And in my view, no meeting should ever last more than an hour, and even an hour is kind of pushing it. Um, But actually what I realised was that lower down, at lower, I mean, everybody was having a lot of meetings. Um, And I had a brief stint at the Royal Shakespeare Company, um, and I remembered feeling the same thing. So I, I, and and the BBC is, is the same. I think there is something sort of intricately connected to the notion of public funding and civil service and sort of a a process-driven kind of way of doing things. Um, So I did away with the two-hour meetings. (laughs) Any of the meetings I could control, I did away with or or sort of reconfigured. But um, I don't think we've really really got on top of it. Um, We had a blissful week where we had no meetings at all. Um, um, Everybody declared themselves really happy with it. But And so I said, well, look, you know, we're not going to nanny this, but, you know, just don't put the meetings back in. But but they have really crept back up uh, over the last three months. Um, and it's it's tricky because we're an organisation that doesn't have a communal art space, sadly. So we don't have a place where the exchange of information between departments can happen in a sort of organic way. We don't have a, sadly, we don't have a staff canteen or a, even a kitchen big enough for lots of people to congregate. And so... 
so necessarily people find themselves calling meetings in order to exchange information, which is not not the best way of doing it. I think there's also something around running a good meeting and what does it, what is a good meeting and what look, you know, a good meeting for me is something that has an agenda and action points that everybody kind of leaves the room knowing exactly what what what's what they've got to do and what decisions have been taken. But um but yeah, that's that's we're still working on it. We haven't got there yet. Joanna, do you find yourself as the boss in a never ending round of meetings? We do have lots of meetings. Um, Something that I'm trying to do more of is really kind of condensing them, making them kind of half an hour, just kind of top points rather than spending hours and hours just discussing things that, as you say, um, don't end up with actually any action points at all. Um, We're also interviewing at the moment for a new role. And um, I was speaking to my dad the other day, who used to work in recruitment. And he said, you know, the first interview should be 20 minutes, not kind of the 45 minutes that I'd set aside for it. Because often, you know, you kind of know instantly whether that interview is going anywhere. Um, And I thought that was quite good advice because you can get a feel for someone in that time. Um, So, yeah, short and sweet. Has he given you any advice on the one or two questions you should ask in that interview? He, he was saying to me the other day that really the only thing that you want to know is what that person is going to bring to the role. Um, so that was the question that he kind of said, go in on that, um, which does kind of flummox a few people, um, which I felt a bit guilty about as it's quite a junior level role. But, um, but it's a good question to ask, I think. Elaine, do you have any killer interview questions? Um, I, I do think that what, what what it is uniquely that you can bring to the organisation is a key thing because it, it both reveals what the candidate knows about the organisation and where its strengths and weaknesses are and it's also a sort of bit of kind of self-knowledge um, and self-assessment. So it is, it is, I think your dad's right, it's a very... It's a juicy one. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, You both have such big roles. Um, Joanna, you said it's really tough to switch off. So I would love to know how you stay sane. Well, I don't know if I do. Um, I try and do as much exercise as I can. I've got really into spinning in the last couple of months. Um, But I also just go out a lot less than I used to, actually. So when I was first at Freeze, I used to be at every event, every private view that I could try and get to. Um, whereas now I try to be much more picky, um, try to have more nights in and get more sleep because I just know that I'm really, really awful if I'm tired. Um, and when it's your own company, you suddenly are really aware of that. You know, I remember being younger and being tired or maybe a bit hungover at work um, and it kind of not being my problem. Uh, whereas now I just feel so awful if that's the case. So, yeah, exercise and sleep. Elaine? Um yeah, I try and find moments in the week where um, you can. So, so I'm nowhere near as good as Joanna. I'm not spinning, um, but I do walk into work a fair bit, which is an hour and ten minutes for me, and that's a good time just to sort of put some headphones on and and kind of and do a bit of thinking and feel like you're exercising. I mean, I don't walk terribly fast, but it sort of feels good. Um, but I agree. I think it's you know you have to. I mean, there is no, whatever form of exercise you take, it's just about lifting your brain into that different space. I swim quite a lot and I find that quite helpful. Um, But I think, and you're right about sleep. I mean, it gets worse as you get older. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Um, So I do think, you know, you do need to feel like you're at, and, and, and it's working out, not just on holiday, but it is working out how you sort of pace your work life balance. And, 
you know, we're women and we have all sorts of biological um, kind of pressures on us. And I think it's it's just making sure that you kind of listen to your body as well and work out, you know, when how you give yourself those kind of breaks away from constant stress and tension. You both, um, as part of your job, have to attend a lot of events. Um, I'm curious to know how your work style has evolved over the years and whether you think what you wear matters. I think there's no question that what you wear matters. I think um, and my style, I would say, has definitely evolved, um, not least because I don't wear heels anymore. (laughs) Neither do I. I mean, so, you know, the revolution has been incredible you know a great range of really easy to wear trainers I mean you know when I was younger nobody would wear trainers to work certainly not women um unless you were you know running off to the gym afterwards but now of course you can buy an incredible range of trainers that sort of look really fashionable and look like you know boots shoes any kind of variation um but you know and and once you have kids um, I've got two kids and, and you know, all through there, you, you're just running. I mean, you're running because you're usually late for, you know, you're either late for a work thing or you're late for a school thing. Um, so, you know, you need to be. So I am, I am, I would say that has, that has um, been an evolutionary change for me. Joanna, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I used to always be in heels when I was in an office all day and, you know, not actually really going anywhere. Um, Whereas now my job is so varied. You know, some days I'm in meetings, but other days I'm lugging up bottles of champagne up the three flights of stairs to get to the office. Um, And so constantly in flats now. Um, But yeah, in that way, I am, it's always kind of dependent on what I'm actually doing that day. So if I'm in meetings and at events all day, I'll be relatively smart. Whereas if I'm just in the office, knowing that I'm going to be doing that kind of work, um, I'm much more dressed down. They always describe, don't they, in those, in stylists and style magazines, always talk about day for night, that, you know, you can sort of wear something during the day and then there's some miracle, you can take off the jacket and you're ready for suddenly. I don't know and I've never that managed that. And, yeah. and, you know, I do a lot of evening things. So either I'm kind of struggling to get into something in a sort of in the loo. cubicle yeah. in the loo where everybody's kind of banging on the door saying, you know, you've been in there for ages. It's kind of, um, and then, you know, you realise you haven't got the right shoes to go with the outfit that you brought Absolutely. in. Absolutely, the right bra. Endless or... juggling of, and whenever there's a black tie thing, it's like, it's so easy for men, black tie. It's mm. just, they I mean, I, uniform. Th- I think the answer is we should get a uniform, you know, we should wear a tuxedo probably because that would, but you know, it's, it, it is much easier for them. Totally, it's, totally. They've got an easy job. I'd love to ask you um, what you're both doing to pay it forward and help and support other women. Joanna. So Marguerite is all about paying it forward and helping and supporting other women. Uh, So with Marguerite, we aim to provide a space in which women can come, make friends, share their experiences and, you know, really see where that takes them in their careers. Um, So, yeah, for us, it's literally everything that we do. It's the most important thing. And for me, it's... The, you know, the best part about my job is hearing about women who've met at our events and then gone on to work on projects together or just become really brilliant friends. Um, so, yeah, it's what, it, what we're all about. So you're helping women to build their networks and collaborate. Absolutely. Elaine? Um, so we're an all-female leadership at Southbank Centre. So my chair is a woman um, and my COO is a woman. Um, and actually my senior artistic team um, is pretty female. Um, 
So um, I, you know, I hope that I show by example that, you know, it's perfectly possible. I'm the first woman CEO of SoftBank Centre in its entire history, which is ridiculous. Um, I always joke that I think they probably ran out of men to ask. I mentor quite a lot of women um, and I do quite a lot of speaking about um, women. And, and I think it's, I do think women all need to just be really honest about the challenges that we face. I mean, you know, there are, certainly if you want to have children, that is really complicated for women um, in terms of, because, you know, the time that you're at your most fertile and probably the time you most want a baby is exactly the moment when most people's careers just take off. Um, and no matter how cooperative a partner you might have, in the end, it's nine months of pregnancy for you and probably some months of feeding for you. Um so um, I think you have to sort of, I, I've, my novel is about a woman who sort of gets to 35 and sort of panics about whether she's factored babies into her life. And I, I have worked with a lot of women like that who sort of get to their early 40s and think, oh God, I forgot to have a baby, you know, and I sort of, I think you mustn't, if you want a baby, don't forget to have one, you know, it's kind of, um, so, so. And I think we should also face up to the fact that, you know, older women are still pretty invisible. And, you know, um, it, it's much more possible to hear and see older men in positions of authority or, you know, as we all know, boards are full of older men who've had longer years. Not so much for women. It's um, And we've got to fight back about that, I think. So how can we challenge the status quo? What needs to be done to get more women into leadership positions? Well, I think the people appointing um, in the end have to be held responsible. I mean, it's, you know, it is interesting. I was appointed by a female chairwoman. Um, and so you you just have to make sure. I mean, strides are being, there are strides being made to p- try and put more women on boards, both on sort of public boards and commercial private boards and company boards, um, because that in itself will then influence the organisations that they're, that they're on the boards for. Um, um, I'm personally not in favour particularly of quotas but I, I I, think we've just got to make sure that we are doing everything that we can in the workplace flexible working um, whatever it might be to enable women who do have children or do have interruptions to their career to nonetheless get back on the career path um, or indeed get you know manage to kind of accelerate to, to to keep up with men. What's been the most powerful piece of advice or leadership lesson you've learned that has helped you in your career, Joanna? Um, So a manager years ago actually said to me, uh, don't be afraid of hiring people who are better than you are, um, which I think is really brilliant advice, especially as a founder. I think a lot of founders I know hire very junior teams because they actually want to be the boss. Um, Whereas more recently I've hired two members of my team who are far more experienced than I am and I'm really enjoying the fact that they you know they know exactly what they're doing and they are much better than me um you know I quit my job where I had a manager and senior members of staff around me when I was 28 years old and whilst I'm still learning on the job every day obviously it's really brilliant to have people who really know what they're doing so that's my juicy piece of advice Elaine um be unafraid to delegate, I think. Um, you know, we're all probably 
um, when you get to these sorts of levels, you're all variations of control freaks, but actually you do have to really realise where you need and should delegate and allow people room enough to make their own decisions and perhaps their own mistakes um, without being too kind of heavy-handed and top-down. So hire people who are better than you, go on a mini break and switch off your phone, cut down on those meetings and don't be afraid to delegate. Thank you so much to Elaine and Joanna. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Pay It Forward, brought to you from Madeira at Treehouse London. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe and please rate and review us to spread the word and pay it forward. For any links and key takeaways, check out our session notes.